0: Impact Hustlers, the podcast on entrepreneurs and change makers that are creating solutions to the world's biggest problems. Impact Hustlers is brought to you by Fast Forward 2030 and Real Changers. Visit fastforward2030.com to learn how to include the global goals into your business model and
1: realchangers.com to find talent and careers with impact. And this is your host, Michael Shafra.
2: This is Impact Hustlers, the podcast on the entrepreneurs that solve the world's biggest social and environmental problems. And I'm your host, Michael Shafrat. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share the episode, most importantly, with a friend. To keep updated on new episodes, visit impacthustlers.com and sign up for our email alerts. And follow us on Twitter as well, at Impact hustlers. Enjoy today's episode and let's go!
1: In today's episode, I speak to JP, co founder of All Plants. All Plants is on a mission to make it easier and more convenient for people to live on a plant based diet by providing healthy and frozen ready meals that can be cooked within minutes. All Plants has raised about 10 million pounds from prominent investors such as Simon Nixon, the founder of Money Supermarket, Felix Capital, and Octopus Ventures. It's great to have you on the show.
0: Thanks, Michael. Good to be here.
1: Thanks for joining me. Give us a brief introduction to all plans and why the world needs you as a company.
0: (laughs) Well, I think I'll start with
1: our why because
0: that's kind of what got us going on this crazy adventure. You know, about this time four years ago, I'd been gradually transitioning to a plant-based diet myself and having grown extremely convinced that this really is an absolute necessity for humanity for us to eat significantly less meat and other animal products and way more plants and that we need to ideally make that happen as fast as possible so having realized that i was so struck by how unbelievably hard it was and the thing that made it hard is first of all it just wasn't easy at all and it still isn't but more importantly i believe it's not exciting and it's got to be exciting because what we're talking about here is food Food is something that, you know, three times a day or more, if you're into snacking, we largely driven by very base instincts. We go find something we want to eat. And that's all pleasure driven. There's very little logic going into our food decisions. It doesn't matter how determined you are to try and be healthy or do something good for the planet. Most of the time, we just want something that tastes good, you know, and we want to enjoy our food and we want it to be exciting. You want to go on an adventure. And I found the what was available really frustrating. And the other thing that was frustrating, Maiko, is that as someone who loves to cook, as like a bit of a modest home chef, as soon as you start really experimenting with plant-based food, you can cook wonderful, mouth-watering, delicious food, but it just takes a bit of effort and a bit of time. And the reality is, as soon as you're busy, forget about it. So with all plants, we decided, right, well, we're going to be the kitchen that cooks for you. We're going to make an unbelievably exciting array of plant-based meals that you can enjoy at home whenever you want on your schedule. And we're going to make it quick and easy. So there's no more barriers to adoption, you know, and get everyone at least giving it a go and having the opportunity to bring a bit more plant into their home.
1: Amazing. And let's talk about your background. You actually have quite a varied career. You spent some time at McKinsey as a consultant, but you also spent some time in Kenya. You actually co-founded uh, HealthTech in Kenya. So tell us a bit more about your journey. How did you get here throughout the years?
2: Well,
0: yes, you mentioned probably GatePost One, which I loved. You know, I spent a couple of years at McKinsey, learned enormous amount of breakneck speed really enjoyed everyone i worked with but quite quickly realized that i would get a lot more out of doing as opposed to advising and i also felt like i wanted to go and find the biggest risk i could find to try and have the most impact because it you know really it's not a risk i could just come back to the uk and get a job pretty straightforward which is a real blessing to have that as a backup And actually, so, you know, the first venture, I moved out back in, well, I was uh, was noodling on the idea in 2008, 2009. And at the time, this thing called mobile payments was really blowing up in the Philippines and in Kenya. And so realized that with this new transaction layer, there was an opportunity to build something really important, which was a bank for the unbanked. And at the time, back in 09, about 90% of adults did not have a bank, any form of bank account. So nowhere to keep money other than in your pocket. Or in a mattress under the back shed you know really really quite difficult to actually build savings when you're doing that or more importantly to borrow when you need to so the vision was to build Africa's first bank for the unbanked and that was quite a crazy undertaking I think one of the themes you draw from my past is one where naivety enables one to jump into the unknown starting a bank is tough, you know, but ran along that path and, you know, through a few different versions and having to shut down at one stage, lay off our first amazing team of 20 people, then rebuild within a partner bank because we needed a banking license. Turns out regulations are quite tough in the financial sector. <laughs> you know, we took that to market. So that's a uh, full scale across sub-Saharan Africa now is called Mshwari. And we serve around, you know, 30 million plus people a day with financial services largely who've never had that before. That was uh, Mshuari. And then, you're right, actually, uh, pretty much, in fact, almost overlapping with Mshuari, started a health business. It's tech-enabled, but actually, it's completely different. It's bricks and mortar. So we wanted, I'm not going to tell you the long story of how he came to the idea, but felt similarly impassioned that there was a massive gaping hole in the provision of high quality, dependable, and trustworthy healthcare services in Africa. And obviously, I was living in Kenya at the time. My two co-founders were as well. So we started in Nairobi and set out to build the most trusted healthcare chain in Africa. So, you know, in many ways, what Starbucks have done for coffee, we're trying to do for health. Standardizing really high quality protocols and making a really great experience is actually affordable for anyone. So it costs about five, six dollars per visit by a patient, including your lab tests, your pharmacy and your consultation. So that has been quite an adventure. We launched almost eight years ago. And now chain of 20 medical centres across Nairobi, and the team are now looking to our next countries. And actually, I'm amazed that they're bold enough to be planning potentially an entry to Nigeria, where there's a massive need and opportunity. So that's Penda Health. And it was actually about five, six years ago that having really enjoyed building MCHRI and Penda Health, you know, they were still relatively nascent compared to today, I realised that I really felt like I am designed to build ventures from scratch and to try to build something that can truly have major impact for humanity or for the planet and bringing people together and mobilizing that is really what I enjoy doing and I also realized I loved living in Kenya it was a real blessing it turns out it's a great place to live it's, people call it the silicon savannah because there's just so much going on there so entrepreneurial but also I'm a family guy and I wanted to get back to the UK and I so realized I needed to come back to London to First of all, just to kind of root around in the dirt and try and find an idea worth going after, which took a few years. And secondly, you know, just because I felt the next thing I build, I want to build for the long term. And I want to build it, you know, something that I can spend the the rest of my life as a mission dedicated to. And, you know, that there's honestly dozens of useless ideas (laughs) that I churned through, more than dozens, hundreds. Some of which actually saw the light of day, many of which didn't get out off a whiteboard or off a mini prototype But it was very much not by design that I was drawn towards food and towards the massive problem that we need to address for the future of our planet.
1: It was your own need, pretty much, right? Or you discovered in your own life that it was hard to get plant-based food, right? So let's talk about that. How were the early days of all plants from the idea that you actually cooked the meals in your kitchen in the beginning? How did it work?
0: (laughs) Well, actually, what I quite quickly realized when I started eating plant-based was people put this label on you that you're a vegan. And very quickly, as soon as you've got that label attached to you, everyone is in your face and down your throat asking you questions and challenging you. And, you know, my initial reaction, because that's just what I'm like, was to argue back and give facts and give logic and try and convince people, like, how can you not understand? It's so much better. It's so much healthier. And actually, what I quite after I was really blue in the face, what I realized was there's no matter of stories or facts or information you can give people. All you need to do really is cook something delicious, let someone enjoy it, and then they'll say, oh, this didn't have meat in it. That was really delicious. I could have this. I could eat this once a week. So it was kind of like a sneaky way of getting out of those conversations. I just started I just started cooking a lot anyway for family, for friends. And it just so happens that in the same week that I decided to start what was a veggie experiment, my brother went overnight vegan. And we chatted at the weekend, and he was like, oh, yeah, I've gone vegan. And I was so annoyed because I was like, oh, what? I'm just doing it as an experiment. So quickly I had to catch up. And, but obviously we were then on this journey of experience into this way of eating together. And, you know, within three or four months, we talked about crazy ideas for years before this, but we quite quickly realized there's a really important problem to solve here, not just the supply side issue where we need to make really delightful, exciting food available everywhere for everyone. But also this thing about the vegan label and the way that it carried all this radical, overly pious and judgmental meaning. And the problem was that it was very binary. You're either in or you're out. And we felt very strongly that that was really holding back a lot of interest turning into adoption and change. And that actually, aside from just making fantastic food, which we've been obsessed with and dedicated to for the last four years anyway, there was also a really important brand building and messaging opportunity to really have impact. And that's actually where the name All Plants came from. We felt that We slapped that name on it as a project name from the very beginning just because we needed to cover the base. And it, quite quickly, we realized that it really evoked this abundance of flavor and opportunity and a welcomingness that we really wanted to reposition the whole movement with.
1: Mm. And did you find that you marketed as really much as plant-based rather than vegan, as you just said, right? Like, do you find that has helped you a lot like if you would have chosen to just label it to the vegan audience already existing right I can imagine you're actually tapping into audiences that are not vegan right now but they're like oh plant-based let's try it out
0: yeah exactly you know it could have made it harder we at first but we very deliberately didn't want to use the v-word anywhere we felt like we needed to let go of that but you know for some people that was then confusing we would get people calling up saying by the way is your food vegan I, yes yeah, yeah it's all plant-based which means that so there was a bit of an education we had to go through. But as you rightly guessed, Michael, to be honest, in the first year, we barely spent a dime on marketing. Uh, it was all word of mouth community and just really hard work on our organic and building a story. And yet within the first year, 60% of our base wouldn't call themselves vegan or veggie. They were just and this is what I like to call it. They were just plant curious or vegan ish, you know, just dipping a toe in and saying, hey, I'll eat uh, plant based a couple of days a week, whatever. And that was really exciting because that is where the planetary impact and the major lever for change comes in, not just helping the couple of percent of people who have already decided to go this way eat a little bit more delightfully or easily.
1: Let's talk about that. What can actually be the... Impact on the environment of a plant-based diet, and also on an individual. Right, uh, right now, everybody's talking about game changers on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Uh, so obviously, you have like uh, big people advocating for a plant-based diet now. What's your take on that?
0: Game Changers obviously focused on health and you know erections, which was the angle they took. I can't comment on whether I've seen a change in my <laughs> in that for me. But first of all, when you look at the typical Western diet. If you take somebody with a normal amount of omnivorous eating, including all types of meat, fish, dairy, etc., and if you move them to vegetarian, first of all, you chop your food carbon footprint by 50%. 50% emissions gone. If you choose to go from that omnivorous diet to vegan, you chop your food carbon footprint by 80%. You've got rid of 80% of your emissions related to food. Now, it's a massive step going all the way vegan, so that's where we want to go, and that's Honestly, where I believe the planet has to go and it will go, we all will go that way. However, what's really exciting is that baby steps make an enormous impact on their own anyway. And so actually, you know, we did a scientific research piece last year, which is what we've built our All Plants Challenge around. And the All Plants Challenge, quite simply, is just, you know, sign up and commit to eating plant-based two days a week. And the really cool thing about this is that if everyone in the UK were to eat plant-based two days a week... It would remove the same amount of carbon from the atmosphere as 54% of all cars in the UK being taken off the road. I mean, it's massive. It can have such enormous impact. So, you know, it's just those small steps that can have a big impact. And likewise, even just eating two days plant-based a week can have big impact on your own personal wellness in terms of your exposure to variety of lifestyle diseases whether it's early onset diabetes obesity cardiovascular diseases so you know that's what we really encourage people to do and just to give it a try
1: and get familiar with the delights of an all-plants diet Mm. let's talk a bit about the challenges of starting a company like this as far as i could tell you don't have an actual background in food right so from coming up with the idea to actually executing in a business where you can't really have the slogan of uh, move fast and break things because you want the meals to be safe you need to stick to food regulations stuff like that you need to figure out how do you even produce these reliably at scale i'm sure there's like thousands of different points that traps for first-time entrepreneurs to walk into. Can you share any lessons you've learned through the journey from building an actual physical product that people consume? Absolutely. Yeah,
0: well, first of all, as you rightly said, there's so many things to get right. And you can't, nobody would have the expertise to do everything. And absolutely, I certainly don't have any of the expertise. So in the early days, you have to be choiceful about the areas where you can just muck in hustle and make it up and in the areas where you need to go and get people who really know what they're doing because that's going to really define the success of your product. (laughs) And so without obviously without a doubt, all plants for us it's always been about our food. And so in the very early days we were basically doing all of that hustle and just making it all up in All of the peripheral aspects, whether it was customer services, marketing, web development, product, you name it, everything else. But then in our food, we've always made sure that despite the fact that I was cooking for the first six months in the product development, alongside me were extremely talented development chefs. And then in order to launch, found... Somebody, Anna, who she had already built and run multiple of her own food businesses, so extremely entrepreneurial, but also a real food operator and chef by background, so that we could be certain that we were really going to be making fantastic food all the time. So really, I guess, people always talk about the fact that it's so important to focus on your talent, on your culture. But for us, in order to overcome the absolute monstrosity of complexities in such a physical product that we've chosen to cook ourselves, which is unusual. You know, 90% of new food brands do not make their own food. But we said, well, if we're gonna make the future food, we need to cook it. Because we are gonna be inventing the best ways to, to lead this whole new culinary frontier.
1: So the usual way would be to partner up with an existing company, innovate them a bit on the recipe maybe and let them do it, basically, right? And you chose not to do that.
0: Yeah, it's called co-packing. And the UK has really a very advanced co-packer industry. Um, They're all based in the Midlands because it's good for distribution and price and costing. But they run humongous factories and then they don't really care about quality like we do. And their speed of innovation is about 5x slower than ours. And, you know, for us, those are really important aspects of what we think matters to our customers and what they tell us matters and you know one of the beauties of being mm. I think the classic phrase is D to C but we call it C to C chef to customer is that every single dish when uh, is plated by our chef we know every customer who then sits down and eats that meal we have direct relationship with you you are gonna tell us I loved that or whew, don't know about this one, it's not for me. And then we'll try and find out why. And so we are getting such incredibly granular feedback on every single dish, on every single batch that we cook so that we can run a really continuous kind of Kaizen approach to quality, which you just couldn't do if you don't have your hands in the kitchen. It was a bold decision. We got challenged a lot. We got told a lot by experts and advisors, are you sure about cooking? Because that's tough. And we said, you know, we get that it's tough, but this is what we'll put all of our energy into because it's what matters. And it turns out, you know, if you really, really are passionate about something and you love food, then it does show in the food and we'll always continue to do that.
1: What's one of the biggest lessons you've learned you wish you knew before you started for maybe people that are looking at the food sector, have ideas in the space? What would be some advice that you can share with them that makes it easier? One of the
0: lessons we've had to learn as we have go, and it's been a constant, something we get challenged about as well, is that to build a market-leading household food brand, you have to be in supermarkets. The th- what we're told over and over is you have to put your product on a shelf in a big box. And, you know, as a result of that being continuously amplified to us, it's been hard to stay the course with our thesis and with our strategy and with our belief that, no, we just run a fantastic kitchen and we cook for people all over the country. We don't want to be like those products that just sit there and that you don't have a relationship with and you can't learn about the food and understand the purpose of what's being done. And so I think if we have been able to know from the beginning that that actually... wasn't wasn't a crazy thing to do and that we could, as we've always intended to be, be selective and be patient about how to appear in other areas. I think that, you know, probably would have helped us avoid a few late night debates over the years. Mm.
1: Let's talk a bit about what's happening right now, and maybe start looking into the future as well, right? You just told me you've opened Europe's biggest plant-based kitchen, I think, and your new. We sat here next door, yeah. Headquarters, yeah, yeah. That's really exciting. So the guys—it's early
0: in the morning, but the guys are cooking. We kick off cooking every day at 6 a.m. till 10 p.m. because we've got so much, so many people's meals to keep up with. But yeah, recently it's also our three-year birthday this month, so. You know, three years ago, we just opened our very first kitchen, which Alex and I scraped all our pennies and savings we'd ever made together to open. And we cooked in that for three years. We made a million meals in that kitchen, which I still, I can't actually quite believe it based on the size of it. But, you know, we worked very hard to produce those meals. But we quite quickly realized that we're going to need more kitchen space. And the eventual, very exciting outcome of that is we've found a new site, which is where we are just here in North London. And we started cooking in there about two weeks ago. And, you know, it's a really big space. We've still kept to our small batch chef cooked kitchen principles, but just we're giving our chefs way more space to do it. And it's gonna allow us to really both innovate and expand our range, which we're really excited about. And, you know, hopefully reach more homes with more plant-based food. And as you said, yeah, we've been told it's Europe's largest dedicated plant-based kitchen, which is fantastic. You know, I, I want to see more people opening kitchens like this, but for now, great. So that's one of the key things we're doing, but also it's Veganuary. So for people who don't know, Veganuary, kind of like Movember, is a month where people choose every year to give vegan a go I suppose for the month and you know quite a lot of people carry on after that and so this month tends to be quite a busy one for us and actually as as part of that one of the exciting things is we launched our first television-based ad as an experiment which was quite an undertaking for a small startup but it seems to be making waves you know it's getting a really great response and and we love it so that's all part of the fun too.
1: Mm. Have you branded it as Veganuary special or something like that or just
0: no. Yeah, well, by the way, we love the guys at Veganery and they're doing an incredible job. I uh, got so much respect for Matthew and Jane who started it and they helped us a lot in the early days. But no, you know, we wanted to try and make a very all-plant statement so it's just all about the food, all about the sizzle, the flavor, the marination, everything that's happening in the kitchen just to bring you into how exciting and flavorful
1: everything is. Great. We got to the last question already and that's about the future. Yeah, <laughs> very quick. So if you imagine the world in 10 years' time, if all plants succeeds, how does the world look like?
0: Yeah, I guess our mission is bigger than just us. And so for us, this is something we actually have a very clear picture on. We, I, I greatly believe that by 2030, we want to see everybody on the planet eating way more plants, if not all plants, in their diet. And if we are able to make a, a substantial transition, it would transform agriculture and you know by shifting our demand away from animal-based products and towards plant based products it would free up close to 70 percent of land used in agriculture which would be fantastic it could be reused a for growing more plants for our growing population and then b for rewilding and reforesting which is a massive way that we can quite aggressively go at creating carbon sinks and rebuilding biodiversity, which will be a big impact for our planet. And likewise, it would help us address the freshwater shortage, which is an impending challenge as well. So we would be really delighted to see that. And I, and I guess one of the things that we don't talk about in a massive way as a brand, but it's certainly something that I believe, is that if we can move society to a significantly more plant-based, if not fully plant-based way of living, It's almost like a gateway to a more generally conscious way of living and we really believe that there's a need for that it doesn't stop at changing the way you eat there's so many other things that we need to drastically change and so you know if you like we think of moving towards plants as a gateway drug to trying to have a lighter footprint on the planet and more impact generally in a kinder way for the planet which you know uh, it's something we all get excited
1: about when we're allowing ourselves to be the hippies we truly are <laughs> over here at All Plants HQ. Amazing. Thank you very much for sharing your journey and all the best for the next 10 and 100 years to come. So thanks very much.
0: Thanks, Mike. I'm going to drag you down to the kitchen now because we've got to have I'd a taste. I'd love to see it. All I'd right. love to see it. All right. <laughs> Thank Cheers. You.
2: Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you liked this episode, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share the episode with a friend. To keep updated on new episodes, visit impacthustlers.com and sign up for our email alerts. And also follow us on Twitter at impacthustlers. Thanks very much for tuning in and see you next week. This was Impact Hustlers, the podcast on entrepreneurs and changemakers
0: that are creating solutions to the world's biggest problems. Impact Hustlers is brought to you by Fast Forward 2030 and Real Changers. Visit FastForward2030.com to learn how to include the global goals into your business model and
2: RealChangers.com to find talent and careers with impact.